Welcome back to KafaroCast, everybody. Frank and Aaron here. And we have a special guest, a bit of a uh, mule deer hunting expert, maybe? I would say. <laughs> yeah. But you kill all kinds we, of shit. We got so, the, man, the uh, man Mike Duplan. Yeah, here. <laughs> I've had an evolution of sorts. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I'd, well, be a, I'd be an exceptional sheep hunter if I could afford it more and uh, draw more tags. But Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'd, I'd say, Mike, one of the most, uh, well... Not to get into the wormhole, but you're not a, in my opinion, probably as well known as you could or should be for the simple fact you don't get into the social media game as much as as, as others. Would you? No, because I don't really have an, uh, I guess there's not really a purpose for me to try to market myself. It's I have a profession that I'm in and I have a, a job. I don't need to make a living doing it. So there's not that motivation to try to make money by putting my face out there uh, three times a day. I can tell you, Frank and I are getting the fuck off it as yeah. soon as we can. I was I was, <laughs> I was, was thinking about that the other day. Like a lot of the more well-known people or the less well-known people are like the, uh, the people that have more experience and um, like Clay Lancaster, for instance, or like the Lancasters. Those guys are freaking sheep hunting gods, basically. Well, they established and, themselves right. and did it before social media was even yeah. a thing. So, you know, they basically had to work without it. And now mm-hmm. there's, it's a completely different dynamic out there. It's the world we live in. It's it's like it, love it, leave mm-hmm. it. It doesn't really matter. It's not going away. Well, actually, I got asked on a somebody else's podcast the other day, what's my goal? And uh, I said, to get the fuck off of social media is my goal. And they, they were kind of silent. And I was like, you guys don't understand. Ten years ago when I met my wife, I didn't have a phone, a computer, or an email I'd like to get back to there as soon as I possibly can. But you, as you said it, we make a living at this, and we like to help people. We sell a product, so you kind of have to. I mean, you think about what we had 10 to 15 years ago. You had a few select magazines. You had to write an article for one of these few select magazines and had to have people read it. And that was your only way of uh, basic, either that or a, a forum message board. Yeah. And those were your only two ways of uh, reaching people. So yeah. with, with such a limited uh, ability to get to touch people through print nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, you have the ability to touch thousands at a moment's notice well, and, with social media. And, and there, I think there are some fantastic things about social media. There's people in my lives I never would have kept in touch with or seen what they're doing if it wasn't for that. And so I, I appreciate it for what it is. You got to keep it in perspective. If, if your day is all about uh, getting the affirmation from likes and likes, loves or hearts and smiley faces on, <laughs> on social media. You really got to check yourself. That's time to look in the mirror and think, what, what do I really want? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. And, and I, I'd say one thing, Frank and I probably have a problem with, I don't write a sonnet below a photo. I just post the photo and try mm-hmm. to let the photo, photo speak for itself, you know, and if you're a good enough photographer that you've kind of stopped time and you don't have to type a lot about it unless it's like a you know some specific animal you got a history with obviously it's cool to hear the backstory and and i think the 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 big difference and frank's younger but frank was raised kind of the same way that uh and i'd like to get your take on this really is um uh i was born with we didn't have cell phones you know you're a little bit older than me but i no cell phones no anything you just went hunting because that's what you did and now people get on social media and become hunters because of the industry or social media where the older generation and some of the younger were hunters and then social media ended up being a byproduct of it. I mean, what do you, what do you, what's your kind of take on that? I remember backpacking into the Sangres with a 
four five pound bag phone. <laughs> so, what's that tell you? Uh, uh, you know, I think there it's a distraction for sure. And if uh, I think people are making a grave mistake if they feel like they need to update social media from the middle of a hunt in a and take away from the experience, and you're missing something right there. And if you are uh, not living in the moment and because these moments are fleeting few and you will get older and you won't have them anymore and you just need to take them in. So, you know, make sure that that's not a distraction was I would, I would advise people enjoy the moment. I, I, I sleep better when my, we don't have service, like my big break, which I had to miss the hunt this year's in BC cause there's no cell service and I actually sleep cause I don't, I'm, I'm on it all the time. I'm, I'm bad. And, and I, I mean, I have to be, but, um, not just to go back a little bit here, you know, there's times when I probably haven't mentioned you because, and I should have, as far as guys that are um, extremely proficient at taking down big animals that are, I wouldn't say you're underrated. You're just not known as well as you could be, like we talked about. Um, Depends on who you ask. You know, it's like if you ask somebody that's uh, got every bit of their information from social media on me, then they might not know. And and so, well, you've you've, and you're not a big bow hunter, but you've you are a very very proficient um like i suck at trophy hunting you are a very good trophy hunter. when i say trophy you are taking very old animals every year not and not just mule deer but kind of lay out some of the animals you have to take because you got a pretty damn good pedigree behind you well there's only one reason you're not and that's because you don't want to pass things up yeah oh i hate it yeah, yeah. Crazy. yeah. yeah. so just... that, that's all within <laughs> your head right there it has nothing to do with your ability so yeah i i don't know I'm, i've helped uh Guys on bighorn sheep hunts, a few uh, raffle and auction hunts, and uh, my buddy Bobby Abear killed the world record Shiras up here in Colorado with a longbow, and and I was by his side for that one. What that score was it? Two hundred three or ninety nine? I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was one ninety eight uh, gross, and then it ultimately netted one ninety four. Had one broken point that ended up being a two point deduction. Dude, it's so, a fucking donkey. I mean, well, it's, you've got <laughs> pictures of it. Yeah, many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. several. Um, yeah. Actually, I don't even want, let's not talk about that too, too much because okay. there's. Okay. Yeah. I get that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what was the sheep you guys just got that you helped oh, out Oh, yeah. My buddy Jeff Demosky, um, he's a home builder up in northern Colorado, and I met him a few years back, and I helped him on his first uh, auction tag hunt that he bought the statewide tag for, and, and we so enjoyed each other's company. I said, "Man, I can't, I can't do this." I was, I, I need, we need to go hunting as friends because I enjoy your company, you enjoy mine, and and nothing else gets in the way. I'm, I'm very happy with just going hunting with you. And so, uh, he bought a tag through the Bighorn Sheep Access Program. Um, I think they call it B Gap for lack of a better term here in Colorado. But to give uh, Bighorn Sheep tags to certain landowners that. So you can hunt these sheep in places uh, the public would normally not be allowed to hunt. So uh, the percentage breakdown was one tag for uh, the public and I think three for the landowner. Mm -hmm. And so there was some controversy about that because some people felt that it was unfair, gave the landowner too much. But at any rate, Jeff bought a tag for this ranch that had never been hunted and it's where that Fort Carson ram came from. It's kind of a bizarre little place west of Pueblo and in the canyon along the Arkansas. Have, have you seen the Carson Ram, Frank? Yeah, I think I saw it when I did the, uh, when I went, I went down there for something. They found yeah. it, soldiers found it on a field yeah, problem, it was a, didn't they? They found it at Fort Carson, but it came off this yeah, same yeah, place. Yeah. So, you know, it's a 
I think uh, very few lamb, using lambs down there. There's a, a pretty good group of rams. But uh, anyway, he bought the tag for it. He knew about this uh, ram from Marv Klinky. I'm sure you know who Marv is. And Marv had photographed this ram and heard this tag was going up for sale. Marv called me and sent me the picture. And I told Jeff, I said, you need to buy this tag. It's, <laughs> this is the new state record. Colorado Ram. He says, well, what do you think it's going to score, Duplan? I'm like, well, shit, it's going to be over 200. Is that enough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, yeah, it, it wasn't a slam dunk. I actually thought it was going to be a slam dunk hunt one day, go down there and shoot it. You know, it's, you know, like it, love it, leave it. That's how some of the things work in this world. And so... I ended up spending over 14 days on this ranch looking for this ram. I messaged you a few times to do a podcast during the middle of it, and you're like, dude, I'm chasing this ram. Jeff himself (laughs) spent over 20 days down there. Yeah. So what ended up happening was um, we just started pounding it, looking all over and different. I mean, we went everywhere. This place is pretty sprawling. There's not a lot of reveal for topography to glass. Um, Ended up finding this thing in a little side canyon, and he was all by himself. And he ended up being blind in the left eye, and both of his front ankle joints were fused. Whether he had damaged them, like jumping off rocks or something, but he could not bend his ankle, so he walked kind of pogo-sticked. And uh, he was right at the end of his life. He was, you know, pretty small-bodied, and he would have been another one of those ones just lost out in the canyons to have mice chew on him if Jeff didn't get him. And so it was a fitting end to that sheep's life to have him basically be immortalized and 13 14 how old was he he was uh only a i think he was 12 12 yeah yeah that well they start to hit 13 14 that's yeah about as good as they're gonna ever get um and you know more about sheep than i do but what were the stats on that one what he come out at he was 45 on the longhorn 43 and change on the shorthorn over 16 inch bases did you spot him or did he i ended up jumping him in the middle of a about uh, shit when you saw him? Well, I, it was about 20 yards, man. <laughs> and, and it was in the flat cedars on top of this mesa that you would not, I mean, not even cottontails living in it, just rocks and cedars. And he was out there and he'd go over to this little side canyon. What I, I'd walk through the, walked the rim of the side canyon just looking. And I started finding these beds and, and some shit in, in places. I'm like, well, there's something living back here. And there's a little bit of water in the back and a little spring that was coming out of the bottom of the rim rock. So I made a loop around, then I was cutting back over to the main canyon, just across a flat shortcut and across this uh, cedar flat. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, here's this freaking ram just jumps out of his bed at 20 yards. And I'm like, oh my God. Because yeah, he had crazy mass on him. I'm sure well, running away. He, 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 if you've seen the pictures of him, he's got a, a gigantic loop on him. Like he's got the biggest loop I've ever seen on a, a big one ram. I got goosebumps right now talking about <laughs> it. I'm not shitting man. It's like... This thing, it was absolutely stunning. When I jumped him, you know, he's going away. So you can see the, you know, 16-inch mass kind of ram with a a monstrous drop. And when you see this thing in person, you know, we've all seen the world record out of wild sheep. But this thing is like 28 inches wide, and he's incredibly deep. And he he fills up the space. Like this ram's head is this freaking big. Yeah. And... It's just, it was incredible seeing that on a live animal. So, how much longer did it take you guys to get it after you jumped it? Uh, the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Did you figure out he was in there and he came back in, or did you get him where you pushed him? No, we got him where he pushed him. Yeah. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I just kept track of, and, and then he went out into state trust land. You can't, you couldn't hunt there, and so we basically had to wait for him. And that's when I got the photos of him. We we're just kind of watching him, keeping track of him, and and then he came back onto the ranch, and and the, you know, like I said, it wasn't a, it was finding him that was the big challenge yeah. because he, you know, a lot of times old rams will go off by themselves, and and what happens is they get old and kind of weak, and they get tired of getting pushed around by these six, seven-year-olds that just pick on them constantly. So in a band of rams, every day is a, a resetting of the pecking order. And these guys wake up every morning wanting to just shove each other around like, you know, 19-year-old kids. And and that's how it is. And the old men just say, I'm, I am not doing this anymore. It's yeah. like, like that uh, big ram out of Morrison that en- ended up dying, what was it, 15 years ago? He was by Red Rocks, but... He was out of the Waterton herd, and he just got tired of it and just went on a walkabout and ended up on Green Mountain. And <laughs> you know who's then, got that? Well, Morrison uh, Museum there in the town has it now. Do they? Okay. I was going to yeah. say, uh, you know what? We'll talk about after the yeah. the, the podcast. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the the one thing, thing um, for photography, that inter- that morning pecking order is about the best time to get photos because you get a lot more interaction oh yeah yeah they're very active oh yeah for sure but you kind of skipped over the question because you're a modest guy because you're talking about helping people you've shot some fucking big deer man uh lay out some of those deer that you've taken um because that not only where you or what you've taken but some of the places where you've taken them is more amazing to me because they're not stereotypical um, areas that everyone would go for. And I'm, and I'm not saying I know exactly where you hunt, but we've run into each other in, in Northern Colorado a few times. And some of the areas that you take those animals, there are big deer there, like any place in Colorado, but it's not a unit 44 rut hunt or something. I mean, it's, it's a hunt that you, you have to, to earn the buck. So yeah, what are some of them? I've had 44 tags. You can't draw them anymore unless you want to save up 18 years worth of preference points, yeah. but I've hunted there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I've killed bigger deer elsewhere. So um, my biggest buck is 38 and a half wide, and, and he's uh, right at 220 gross. He's got a uh, 216 mainframe that nets 212, and then uh, three little cheaters that take him down to 208. Have you seen that one, Brandon? Mm-hmm. It's pretty. Because width-wise, you what was amazing to me, you usually don't get that high a score when they're, well, not always, but when they're that wide, it, generally yeah. you're not getting that much score so that's what was pretty crazy yeah he, he's exceptional because of his width i mean yeah. i mean he's he's crazy big anyways i'm as we're sitting here i'm pulling up a photo for frank so he can have a frame of reference so Dude, it's ridiculous that sounds for you posted ridiculous. a photo the other day when you looked like you were 12 how old were you on that photo uh, you posted? with that buck yeah couldn't have been over 20 much were you i think it no i was 27 or 28. You look pretty young. Yeah. Was that your first real, real big buck? I killed one other mature deer before that. That was my second mature deer. And uh, so, yeah, I've always looked younger than my age, you know, but baby face, fat cheeks, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, uh, the, uh, I got, I'm going to ask a question, take a potty break. Do you think, as you know, like my, I, you know, people say, oh, the, eventually you'll shoot enough and you'll become a trophy hunter, which is, I think is a lie. I think you're just a trophy hunter. Um, and that's what gets you, you know, that's your thing, you know, and, or you're just a guy likes to go out and shoot stuff. Uh, am I wrong there? Did you always kind of enamored by hunting? It seems like you've focused on it most of your life on the bigger. Well, I, I love 
antlers horns yeah. and they're big and showy and I, I they're just incredible to me and yeah. so you know to be able to hunt for an animal like that and and it, it's it was a goal of mine always and there's you know there's an evolution that takes place in any hunter's life and i've watched i i, I used to hunt with an older guy named gordon wanacott he's lives down near uh cortez but he grew up in the same town i lived in in california tatchby california and he used to tell me uh mike you know it's it's about the experience in the hunt. It's, you know, I don't care if I ever kill a big buck again. I used to say, Gordon, you're full of shit. <laughs> There's no way, man. He, this guy had a house of big bucks. I mean, yeah. he had some serious, serious deer. He used to hunt the Arizona Strip and San Juan Elk Ridge down in southeast Utah when you could just go. And the stories he had were just incredible. He's 85 now, but he's still living by himself on the ranch with his wife and and gets out there and feeds the chickens and does chores every day. But, you know, he, he basically kind of told me these things when I was younger. But as I've gotten older, I, I can see that there is an element there that is about the experience. And I used to really like going by myself, and, and I was really hardcore driven that way. But anymore, I don't care to go by myself at all. I, I enjoy the company of others. I really have a good time with my friends and, and the experience. And it is super important. And if I, it used to be if I didn't get an animal in the off season, I would almost go through a period of, uh, I don't want to say depression, but a, there's a consolation period where you just, you're coming to terms with, holy shit, I looked, I lived all year <laughs> long looking forward to this and I didn't get anything. And I'm, this is a freaking bummer. And it was a dead serious feeling that I had. And, uh, you know, I, it's just, you know, how you are in life at, at different phases and stages. And as you grow and mature, what's important to you. And, and I haven't so. matured enough yet because I'm still about the same way as I was 20. The only thing I could say, I guess I matured is I grabbed a piece of wood. But I don't know if that counts as maturity. Um, I'm very it's an good evolution. At, yeah, you, you're, you've experienced an evolution. I have with the bow, and I yeah. think that since I am a piss poor trophy hunter, you know, everybody was like, "Why didn't you just hunt bigger animals?" I'm like, yeah, "Oh, see, fuck, I, I've why heard didn't you I say think that, of that so many times?" I think that's an absolute crock of shit. Which part? Which one? That I'm not a very good trophy hunter. Well, <laughs> you're you're a, a great hunter. You just can't pass anything up, and so it's it's hard for me to pass. I say that's the seven year old Aaron Snyder throwing rocks <laughs> at birds. Part of you, it is. That's the problem, and I I'm good at going on trophy hunts because I've got good. I mean, Frank is too. Good eyes, you know. Good yeah. glass, get you know, decent enough at judging fun to be around don't mind fetching water the problem is when the weapon's in my hand and there's a 170 inch deer and mike's like there's a 200 over the hill you're gonna have to hold me down to i will not... take your bow away yeah from you. <laughs> and lander this year is like look dude i'm putting a fucking shot collar on you you are not shooting a buck under 180 um with a in, in alberta and yeah. uh because he knows I'm happy uh -huh. pretty much no matter what. I just, you know, I like being out there and I like hunting and I like shooting stuff and I like eating it and I just like the whole thing. But you could take a guy like you, which when I hunt with the Lancasters and certain guys like that, they're looking for the oldest, most mature. Score doesn't really matter to them. So, I mean, everybody likes a big scoring animal, but yeah, they're, they're looking it, for mature animals. Somewhat going hand in hand. It's yeah. it's more unusual to find an uh, older animal that doesn't score well. Yeah. Versus the other way around. When so. you're up in the NWT, what you run into, which you've, you know, hunted up north, but um, you'll run into a seven and a half year old that's 43 inches and you'll run, and, and then you'll and have And those a guys are saying, you're not shooting him. Oh, and, he'll, and you'll like, get the oh, fucking shit yeah, kicked yeah, out yeah. if you oh, shoot yeah. that you're thing. Doing, <laughs> which is good. That's, yeah. that's admirable, but that's a tough one for a client to swallow at 
30 grand. That painting, did you look at that one yeah. on the wall? That, yeah. So that was one of those uh-huh. deals where we're looking at them thinking, Jesus, and that the biggest ram as far as links was seven or eight. Mm-hmm. It was so young, and that was the, I think that ram was 12 or 13. Um, it ended up being a, a fanon. By the way, don't ever bring up fanon to clay. You might slap <laughs> That's you. what I heard. Um, but we're, they're running, you know. They're it's a dirty a doll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just, because clients are like, I want a fan in. Right, and He yeah. gets tired of that shit. So, yeah. but that's one of those deals where he's like, in four years, that Ram is going to be, he's like, why would we shoot it today? He's like, I don't give a shit if it's the biggest one in the band. He's, he's like. Double digits on cheap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, it's it's the, a really uh, admirable goal for any sheep hunter to have is to shoot Rams and double digit age class and that's a hard thing to do because i i shot one that was under double digit age class i shot a desert sheep here in colorado when i drew the tag and i basically spent the whole month looking for a ghost ram that we could never find and at the end of the season they had had a die-off down there too i basically had to choose between four different five-year-olds oh no it's like okay that's not what i wanted i wanted an older age class ram and so you know, there could be some critics out there that say, well, you shouldn't have shot one at all. Well, good one on that, dude. It's a desert sheep tag in Colorado. It's once in a lifetime. And I beat, I think there's one in 800 and something odds when I drew the tag. Yeah. So. No, for but sure. But to get back what you're, um, kind of what we were talking about with trophy hunting, there is uh, things you need to do. And one is having the mindset. You know, you can have all the skills in the world, but if you don't have the mindset to pass stuff up and look for and that's a, that's a really, really difficult thing for people to come to terms with is the idea of going home empty-handed. The older you get, the easier it is. And I don't know if it's just because of a de- deterioration of your physical ability or, or what, but um, most guys don't have the ability to pass stuff up. And that's what keeps a lot of guys from killing really big animals. Yeah. So no, there's, there's two, two criteria as far as I'm concerned. One is time and the other one is the ability to pass stuff up. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go hand in hand when you're looking for big animals. And, you know, there's some goals that are... You know, when Bobby drew that moose tag and killed that bull, I knew about that bull before the season because I had hunted him the year before. He was on the other side of the Continental Divide, and then he disappeared, and I looked for him for, oh, a month and never found him again. Were you looking on the other side? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Well, he he was over there. Was he? Okay, yeah. Yeah. And so... When I found him again, he was on the other side. Yeah. So it really fucked me up. Right. (laughs) So he had gone... And which is amazing because where he crossed, you know, right above that spot, it's like, what in the world did a moose be doing walking up that? But I found his tracks up there. And so. Talking fucking full on goat country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I took a picture of his tracks. There's like a moose moose tracks at 12,000 feet. So, yeah, that was uh, the, the element of that was we knew about that moose and we, I told Bobby, I said, you're hunting for this moose and this. He put in for that tag because of me seeing that moose and hunting mm-hmm. him the year before. And so when he drew it, um, I said, you're hunting for this moose and this moose alone. And he goes, I've been waiting my whole life for this tag. This is my, this is my dream tag. I, I you know, I want to just really want to get a nice bull. And so our first scouting trip, we went up there and, uh, the first basin we looked into had a really nice bull in it, probably a Mid 40s, certainly a Boone and Crockett moose. It was the mm-hmm. kind that most guys would be just be really happy with. It. And we watched him for a good half an hour, and he goes, "Man, I don't know, Mike. That I couldn't <laughs> pass that bull up." I'm like, "Yeah, you can." Yeah. He's like, "Wait till you see this other one. We're gonna find him. I guarantee you, we're gonna find him." And and half an hour later, we're looking into the next basin, and that moose is within 
a hundred yards of where I'd watched him the year before in that same place. Oh, really? And one look at him, and he was just stunned. Yeah, and it's it was watching him through the spotting scope. We were perched way up high on the, on top of this peak, looking down at him, and you could see his rack swinging around. And I don't really think you need to scout for moose any earlier than August, mm-hmm. and because they 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 move up so gradually into the high country, so. I think you're kind of wasting your time if you go too early. But once they get into August and late August, these Shiras moose are just in the in the willows in the alpine and they're just chowing down and they don't move much at all. So, Do you think your buddy would have been able to uh, to to pass on that smaller bull had you not seen the uh, the big one scouting? No. 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 And, and, you know, if we hadn't seen the big one scouting, even if I said he's there, you know, it would be almost foolish because that, that kind of tag, it was a great moose we were looking mm-hmm. at. But to give him credit, he went to, once again, the same thing happened that year as that moose disappeared. As soon as he rubbed his velvet, he was gone. Oh, really? And, and that's, I had found him uh, the year before in another base, and then he went into this basin where we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. And he rubbed his velvet on September 6th and disappeared, and I could not find him again until mid-October. Wow. And uh, so Bobby, to his credit, he was looking at another spot, and he passed up a freaking solid Boone and Crockett moose on opening day of uh, the rifle season because he had had an archery tag, Mm -hmm. but we couldn't find him. And I said, you need to turn your archery tag in for rifle tag. And we'll still hunt him with a bow, but um, we'll just hunt later until we can find him. And so before the season opened, he turned his archery tag in had a rifle tag and on October 1st he found that it was a giant bull and um, he passed him up took pictures of him and, and we just kept looking and looking Dude, and there's no fucking way I could have done that <laughs> I know the moose you're talking I think I know the moose he passed up I can't do it man there's no way I could well, pass that moose you, up <laughs> what I just asked him is if his buddy um, if he hadn't have, had seen the big one would he be able to pass it up you think if you knew that big one was in there still and you'd seen it scouting, would you be able to pass it up, pass up the smaller bull? If you're thinking of the smaller bull, it's probably 180. Yeah. 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 No. There's no fucking <laughs> no, way I can no. do that. 180 no. Shire inch moose is no. what, equivalent to a 200 inch mule deer? Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. No, I couldn't do that. No. Yeah. Could you, would you have? It, yeah. And that moose we're talking about looked like uh, Chuck Brewer's yeah. moose. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I was with Chuck when he shot yeah. his or right, well, right, right, right behind him. But yeah. the thing is, is. Like when you talk, I don't think I'm going to hit that age where that's like, oh, I'll pass this 180 moose <laughs> well, up. To- <laughs> there's, 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 you know, being a trophy hunter and, but there's also being stupid too. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if he, if he had not seen, if we had not seen this moose scouting, yeah. uh, you know, there, there, it would be silly to pass right. that up. So. Well, I'm just thinking like we, for our mule deer hunt, we had a few bucks that we, I guess you'd call target bucks that yeah. we would have liked to to kill but when season came around i had that one that was pretty close to where i had planned to camp and that thing just disappeared once season came around and i'm just thinking like something smaller comes around <laughs> I, I'm, I might be in the same boat as Harry. i have a pretty hard time passing things up yeah, as well yeah but. but you know you you go through an evolution and you need to do stuff to make yourself happy you know yeah. you don't need to hunt for anybody else that's well i think that's one of the reasons for the recurve works well for me is um since I have the don't have the ability, to, I probably shoot bigger shit with the recurve because I have to wait. I can't shoot it at 80 yards now. So generally something bigger in that four-hour gap I have now of getting within from 100 to 20 
four other big deer have popped up that I didn't see because I've already had shot it. And so not saying I shoot giant deer now, but it makes you wait. So it kind of, you know, it's a little bit different. But I've been on some hunts, like desert hunts in Tiburon, where um, Ben... Ben is a very unique guy. You get along great with Ben. He's looking for the unicorn. I mean, he and he will wait for the unicorn, and and they're writing down in the ground 180, and the brand was probably 185 uh, desert, and he's like, no. And they're looking at me. I'm like, he ain't gonna shoot it. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. He's not gonna shoot it. And they're like, grande. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. He's not going to shoot that. He had a, a bullet, and he won't waver from that. Yeah. That takes a lot of hey discipline. I, I, I admire that. And, but I also know that you got to be realistic of where you're at too. Yeah. And so this moose, uh, it was a, it was a pretty incredible experience hunting this thing. We got to watch it a lot in the summer and, and then it disappeared. It wasn't easy. And, and that's, that's another cool thing about it is when it's too easy, it takes away from it. I think, you know, a guy for, to kill an exceptional animal in a world record, I think there should be some toil and hard work. I mean, that guy, his, uh, moose was up for the. Uh, Ishii Award at Pope and Young, and they gave it to the guy that killed that world record non-typical bull up in Montana. Mm. And that guy just, you know, lucked into that bull and shot him opening opening day or something like that. But, you know, he'd, we Bobby was hunting for this moose and this moose alone, passing up other record book animals, and he ended up getting it uh, in a rifle season with yeah. his longbow. Yeah. How far was the shot? That was nine yards. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, so the year before I had photographed him after uh, I got my moose. And so he uh, he was in this drainage with these cows, and I told Bobby, I said, he's going to be in there in October. I mean, the one thing about big animals is they're phylopatric. They like doing the same thing every year. They go to the same places, same time of year, do the same things. You know, the big bulls will winter in the same little basin or cut or whatever. But So I told Bobby, keep checking the spot, keep going in there, because I didn't have as much time off during that time. And and uh, so it ended up being, I think, on the ninth day of the season, something like that. And he found this thing right in the exact spot where I had taken pictures of him the year before. And he called me on my cell phone. I was on the way up, and I was actually going to check another drainage. And he said, I think it's him. I'm like, what do you mean you think it's him? I think he's below me bedded. I'm like, well, is it him? I think it's him. I'm like, how do you not know if it's yeah. him or not? It's like, <laughs> so he told me where he was and I climbed there looking, yeah, that's him. He's laying out in the middle of this sunny or in this meadow and it was uh, on the shady side of the mountain. So the sun hadn't hit it yet. And everything's frosted and there's three cows and a, I think another small bull or two laying down there in the meadow in the willows. And I said, well, I think as soon as the sun comes up, he's just going to go into the timber and we'll just watch where they go into the timber and then we'll go in after that and try to call him. So sun comes up and they just all fall asleep out in the sun. I'm like, well, <laughs> apparently I don't know what I'm talking about here. So, <laughs> so, my plan. so um, I said, well, you go down there to the meadow. I'm going to stay up here and watch them. And uh, as soon as I see you down there, I'll come down too. But we, we don't want to take eyes off them. That's one thing. That's another thing about hunting big animals. If you find one and you don't take your eyes off them because as soon as you take a little nap or whatever, somebody's, you know, that thing's just going to get up and walk away right when you're not watching them. So I see Bobby get down there. The moose is still there. And so I drop off and it took me about half an hour, 40 minutes to get down to where he's at. 
And I get back there and I park by his truck and he's, he walks up. I'm like, what are you doing? Ah, he's just laying out there in the meadow. They haven't gone anywhere. I'm like, oh my God, you took your eyes <laughs> off him. <laughs> yeah. And so we, uh, we left the truck and I said, well, we're going to sneak around and go to this patch of dark timber. There's some big blue spruces right there. And we'll just go in through the timber and walk in close to him and see what's going on. As we're walking in this timber, it was a, by that time, it's probably 9, 30, 10 in the morning. The sun's up, and those real harsh shadows are coming through, and it's just like black and white world just walking down this trail. And I'm looking ahead. I'm like, is that a moose? And he's like, he's in the shadow, and he's looking right at us as we're walking in, and he's about <laughs> 75 yards away. And I'm like, oh, great. And I said, you stay right here. I'm going to take off, go left, and he's going to watch me till I go out of sight, and then he's going to keep walking and walk right past you. And it... It worked perfect. I walked, uh, <laughs> I made some noise. I walked over and, and his attention was right on me and Bobby's behind this big blue spruce. And, and so as soon as I was out of sight, the moose just goes, Whoa, and he just starts walking down the trail and Bobby's just standing right there and he comes broadside at nine yards and he, he zips one in and, and uh, I'm out in the middle of this little meadow next to this blue spruce patch at that point, and I'm standing in the wide open. All of a sudden, I hear this crashing like a freaking elephant going through the trees. <laughs> and I'm like, if he comes running out in this meadow, I'm standing here, he's going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I take off running at that point. I go in and get some cover, and, and so wait about 10 minutes, and, you know, just a little while later, we are walking up on him, so. Yeah. Was, uh, did he about shit his pants when that thing came through like he thought it would? When he reenacted or whatever, told you the story? Oh, yeah. It was a really intense moment, if I you bet. can imagine. Yeah. That, that's just, when you have something that you've been dreaming about hunting and he's coming right at you and he's going to be 20 feet away, it's like, holy crap. What I mean, what a rush. And, you know, calling mooses, uh, that's about as exciting of a thing as there is. I mean, calling mooses is as exciting as, you know, calling in big bulls. In fact, Big bull elk, I think it might even be a little more dramatic because they, they make such a fuss at times when they're coming in. I didn't, you know, I had been on some um, Shires moose hunts here, and then I, I was on a couple in Idaho. Um, you know, and we, we were calling the little ones to the freaking teepee in some cases, you know, because they're not overly bright when they're little. And then uh, I went and hunted in the NWT forum where they're true giants, yeah, yeah. right? And like, you know, 220, 230 plus inches. And yeah. It's when they come in, oh, oh it's oh. awesome. And the thing is, is it's not like uh, you can't see them, right? Sometimes you only see parts and pieces. But, you know, the one thing I learned, like the crazy ex-girlfriend, you know, I learned a lot of this clay, you know, when they're coming step for step grunting, don't do anything because they're dead. They're yeah. they're coming, right? Yeah, they're, if they're coming, just yeah. shut up. <laughs> and literally you watch them and, you, you know, you've got your, your hunter right there and you're thinking, don't, I mean, it's a gimme, right? Don't, don't fuck this up, man. But they're just like, oh. And you see those videos and you're like, oh, that's cool. And then you're there and you're like, oh, my God, that's there's awesome. a B-52 coming right at us. And just the sheer massive one, because you haven't seen one on the ground yet, have you? Mm. Oh, it's overwhelming. You know what's overwhelming is fleshing out the face because I hate it. But it's <laughs> it's crazy how big they are. And even these Shirets down here, I showed Clay that one and, and Bart and they were like, Jesus, dude, that doesn't look like it belongs in no, the we, United States. We nicknamed him Yukon Jack because he yeah. looks like an Alaska <laughs> Yukon muse. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's big. Yeah, it was it was exciting. It was fun. But, you know, with uh, back to hunting big animals, you know, being uh, dedicating the time, and that includes scouting and, and being patient and being willing to pass up, those are a couple of key things a guy needs to take with him out there. You know, you can be in great shape, but if you're 
too impatient and you only got weekends to hunt, you know, it's, you're, you're limiting yourself if you're going to be hunting big stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I recently wrote a an article. Um, I'd kind of like to get your take on it as far as uh, fitness. You know, and keep in mind, I'm not I'm not uh, bashing on fitness. Frank and I work out and go to the gym, and and uh, and I think it's important to be fit. But I would say, for me, tearing the importance of of harvesting an animal of any size, specifically big ones, is um, you know, I put animal behavior for me, knowing animal behavior. Um, up at the top and, and, and patience and common sense and field craft, those things are all, I would tier them above fitness and fitness would really probably be if you were bracketing them out for, for me, maybe in the bottom third, um, of importance, meaning for, for backpack hunting, it's, it's important, but being in peak pinnacle fitness in compared to being averagely fit, but having peak, um, knowledge of animal behavior, I would say from what I have seen, the peak animal behavior person knowing about animal behavior, traveling corridors and where they move, sun, when the sun pops up, what they're going to do, where they're going to feed, all those different things is far more important than peak fitness, I guess. And I'm not bashing fitness. I'm just saying it's not as important as is, is what people make of it. I mean, what do you, I mean, what are your, what's your well, take be- on that? I can tell you it becomes more important as you get older because you can't rely on youth anymore. There's an element there. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. Yeah, it, that makes sense. You, and you know what, what I'm talking about here is like uh, you have to keep after it to a certain extent at this point in your life. When you're in your 20s, you could not do anything the whole freaking year and strap on a pack and just go. Mm-hmm. And the older the get, you get, the more you have to put into that. So there, there is that element there. But I would say having a... Uh, the you know accumulating years of experience and paying attention to animals and what they do, you know I feel like a lot of times now I can tell what an animal is going to do, where he's at on a hill, where he's going to go bed down, even like okay he's over here and here and I see this over here I th- he's I think he's going to go right over here and bed down and and aside from that you know I just explained about a moose not knowing what he was going to do but um, <laughs> <laughs> you get it right most of the time. Well, yeah, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some truth. I knew he was going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my experience has shown me, and this is something I've, I've screwed up in, in the past on some really good animals by not, uh, I knew about this big double drop tine buck in the San Juans years ago. And it wasn't like I'd found him scouting. This guy was elk hunting and he's, he was wanted to just, you know, establish a internet friendship with me. He sent me pictures of this buck he had taken pictures of elk hunting. And here's this non-typical with matching Polska kielbasas on each side about <laughs> eight, ten inches long. And he made an X on the map for me. And I, knowing what I know now, I'm like, I would have went to that exact spot yeah. the next year in archery season. I'd been shooting a bow all summer yeah. long. <laughs> and I had to try to kill that buck. But, you know, I was like... At that point, I just thought, oh, well, it's just a one-time thing. But, you know, animals like doing the same things in the same time of year. And especially the older they get there, they get kind of... So it takes a little bit to get them out of their grooves because by the time they're generally old, they've seen it, done it, experienced a lot of opening days, and they know where not to be. Yeah. So... I, I think that, um, you know, the animal behavior thing is probably the most... I don't... I mean, and Frank, you're on the internet much too probably the most overrated thing followed up by field craft or you know when i say you know navigation and common sense or whatever it's pretty overrated i think people spend a lot of time on uh overthinking and speculating on gear and this and that and having the top stuff but we talk about it all the time like 
there's a lot of people that skip out on their uh, like summer scouting, yeah. whether even be, say you're going out early before the deer move up high or whatever, even just scouting the area and finding out where you want to be or where you want to set your camp. People skip out on that stuff. Uh, I was a dick last year because I was getting, well, we, but I was more of a dick than you. We didn't just go last to, year? Well, every year. <laughs> specifically this one point in time, we didn't go to total archery challenges. Uh-huh. And I made a pretty big deal. I said, what were you thinking? I was like, <laughs> I, I made a post. I said, why the fuck would Frank and I go to a total art? Nothing against them. They're great fun. No. But I'm like, Frank and I are scouting to kill shit, which right. is the end goal. I so get that. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, it's to me, if, if, and Frank, I'm not speaking for you, but if I have a choice to go to a, now a tournament or something or go scouting uh, for a specific, like I drew a goat tag this year, right? I'm not going to put, I can shoot well enough. I can practice at home in the yard. Every minute is going to be sent scouting the two animals we're focusing on this year, mule deer and that goat and and elk, which thank God I know that area well enough. We don't have to mess with it because what we're learning during that time is far more valuable than me hitting a foam target because the foam target can be practiced anywhere. You can do that anytime. You can't scout your area at any time. Um, and so I was like, I can't believe the industry's gotten to a point where I'm getting shit for not going, choosing to scout over going to Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, everybody's <laughs> got their own motivators. And for some people that aren't good hunters, that's a, I don't want to say it's the case in, in point always, but there there's an element of being involved in something that's, you know, hunting oriented and they can be successful at. And it's, you know, it's enjoyable to them. So, you know, they're making their mark and and running around the woods with the bow and shooting targets and, and become getting up on the podium and getting the medal. And so that's great, you know, to each his own there. I'm glad they're not out in the woods uh, scouting and competing with me. You have so. a good point. Stay at the tournaments, people. Don't listen <laughs> to what I just said. Son yeah. of a bitch. Um, well, what do you think, though, as far as like bracketing stuff? I mean, you've taken a lot of, of different animals. I mean, I mean, how important is fitness? How important is animal behavior? Things like that. I mean, if you were going to give advice to a guy getting into the, I say the sport, getting into hunting, whatever, what would you say they should focus on, uh, you know, primarily first? Like, what do you think are, are key? To me, the, the hunting equipment and shooting and all those, those are just a given. That's just part yeah. of what you need to be as a hunter. You need to be proficient. You need to have the right gear. I'm not a gearhead at all. I mean, it, anybody that knows me, I, I have stuff, but I'm not, I don't look to get the latest and greatest all the time. And, and I, I know that isn't the game changer for me. Being able to stay out in the woods is, is important. So I know I got to have the right stuff to keep me out there when the weather's shitty, but you know, I'm not, a real, and I can tell, you know, looking at some people's pages and, and that kind of thing, where, you know, their gearhead, their motivators on that level. But, you know, ultimately, you know, you got to be able to get out there and spend the time and get the experience. And, and part of the experience is the scouting and learning animal behavior and, and knowing where to go look for things. So it's, uh, it's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, you could take your bow for a hike. There's lots of guys out there doing that nowadays. <laughs> it's it's astounding to me. A lot of bow hikers. <laughs> I, it just blows me away how many dudes are taking their bows for a hike in, in the Colorado mountains now. But Which the DOW loves it because, you know, yeah, they get over the, the money. Ca- Over-the-counter yeah. elk tags, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think. So uh, as far as when you say a breakdown, like percentages, how, you know, where you sh- should you focus on it? 
I, I, I don't even look at it that way. I've never thought of it that way, but you, you really do have to have a, a complete approach if you want to be successful. You can't total package. You can't leave anything on the table. Mm-hmm. So, you know, checking all the boxes, you know, you, you can be in super great shape if you don't bring the right gear to stay out there, that doesn't matter. So you can have the right gear and be in great shape. But if you spent so much time, uh, taking pictures of yourself, shooting your bow out at Bear Creek Lake Park. No, but you know what I'm saying there. Oh yeah. You, you, you and I know you've spent so much time out there that you know just you've accumulated a, a wealth of knowledge of animal behavior just by the years and time you've put in. And so if you're paying attention, that's all out there for you. And so having a complete approach to this if you want to be successful is super important. So and that's I think a lot of it's in people's heads and and, and you know when we were talking a little bit before the podcast started about mental toughness and part of a uh, mental toughness in, in hunting is, is being able to grind through the days where you aren't seeing things and aren't being successful. And that's where guys tend to give up is, you know, it's day four, I'm tired. I haven't seen shit and fuck it. It's raining. I'm going to go to the cafe and go eat some breakfast with my buddies. It's funny you brought that up because I brought that exact analogy up in the, the article that I wrote. Uh-huh. Um, I brought up the show Alone. You ever watch Alone? Uh-huh. Okay. So, you know, not to get into the Alone thing, but like as I explained to Amy, my wife, I said, uh, it's really to survive with what they have is not that difficult. They yeah. get a lot of shit, right? Yeah, they get Just you, you know. and the cameraman. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the... Um, you know, I was like, you know, most people um, aren't used to, you know, the, not having the niceties and, the, uh-huh. you know, whatever. And and I said, uh, you know, as far as hunting, when you watch alone, you see the reasons they start to pop up while they're going to give up. You can mm-hmm. they, they say so you can watch TV and you know they're going to probably give up. And the same thing happens hunting. A lightning storm comes in. Mm-hmm. Got to come off the mountain. Ha- have to go down to town because there's a lightning storm coming in where I'm not by no means if you get hit by lightning I'm just saying Frank and I stay. We don't come off the mountain because it's very unproductive because it's going to go away eventually. Um, you know, or you run into other hunters. Well, the time you've lost, and I'm not saying you shouldn't come off the mountain, but it's a good reason to come off, you know. But there's also the, you know, you stay and you maybe move or whatever else. But any reason if they're already struggling— they're going to talk themselves into right. coming you're, off the you're mountain. You're giving yourself excuses. It's it's really easy to talk yourself into that. And that's where when we talk about uh, mental toughness, there, there's so much out there about, you know, talking about mental toughness, developing, developing mental toughness. And it really is a, a much more simple concept than most people want to give it credit for. And it's when you are faced with adversity, how you deal with it. And that is your mental toughness. So you're you're faced with a, a situation that makes you uncomfortable physically, mentally, whatever. And your ability to get past that uncomfortable feeling and deal with it is your mental toughness. Whether and so some people have it naturally. We've we discussed that too. There's guys that are just 
freaking rock hard. Nothing bothers them. It's just, it's impressive actually, you know, and I've seen some of those guys in Alaska and, you know, some of those Canadian guys, I don't know if they're born with it or some of the mineral Probably water. alcoholic fathers yeah. at yeah. a young age. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're right though. I mean. But those yeah. are some of the toughest dudes I've ever been around is those uh, North Country Canadian mountain hunters. And, I, you know, you got to give them credit, man, because, and what they've done is, you know, when they're you know, 17, 18 years old, going working for an outfitter, those outfitters had already seen and done it, and they didn't cut them any slack. You want to be up here, you better deal with this shit. And, yeah. and they're hard on them. And so it put them in a position where they, they got hard themselves. So when you talk about mental toughness, it's you're faced with adversity, and it's how you choose to deal with that adversity. So if it's uh, if you haven't killed an animal and it's day four and it's snowing and you don't feel like climbing up that mountain in the snow... You can talk yourself into going down to the cafe and getting a cinnamon roll and a cup of coffee and <laughs> pizza. And, and yeah, yeah, that was um, our thing. We yeah, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's important for people to pay attention to this and and uh, not to pump up like your tires or Frank's or whatever. But um, you know, in the case of Frank, Frank's in the millennial era, uh-huh. um, <laughs> where. I would say people predominantly are weaker. Sorry, millennials, prove me wrong and I'll be happy. Um, where Frank is one of the tougher guys I've ever met. And you, what are, how old are you now, Frank? 30? 30. There you go. Frank's 30, but is, well, I mean, he stayed up there the whole time with me. He prefers, I mean, you do every year, I guess you're doing 10 day solo backpack hunts. And, and uh, I wouldn't want to compete him against alone because he likes being right. alone, right? Was, do you, uh, feel like having him mentoring you in some of those formative uh, trips were part of developing, g- giving you a confidence level? Do you think you would have done that on your own or do you think I, it was I'd helpful? i doing it before I worked okay. here, but yeah, I think, I, I mean, I definitely learned a ton from Aaron and uh-huh. I mean, working here, I've met a ton of uh, guys that I would consider mentors. Like, like uh, Do you remember your first solo backpacking trip mm-hmm. and how old were you at that point? Oh, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't super young, probably early 20s. Yeah. I'd say I was probably 19, 20, 21 when I did my first, but yeah, it's a different thing when you, when you, when you've never done that before and you just, you know, Hey, I'm going to go up here and I'm by myself. It, you know, it, it, not everybody can do that. And it's really, and I find it strange because I did it at that point. It, it wasn't something I was interested in before, you know, when you're a kid in high school, you got a lot more distractions. You're not thinking about going backpacking by yourself. So yeah, kind of on the other end that that's what I did. Yeah. Like, like, well, I did sports, right? Yeah. But trail crew team, I started super young mm-hmm. and it was my, that I just, I just liked back. I didn't, I didn't overly like people. I liked the woods and that's what I did. But talking about three, well, you and I aren't that far, but three generations, three 10 year decades. Okay. We're apart. We all have a lot in common as far as being able to do that. Where Frank being the one guy probably wouldn't because he's in that younger age gap but uh-huh. i mean i wouldn't want one to have a contact i mean the only thing i have over frank's probably maybe skill set like i have more field craft experience mm-hmm. but i would say and people are like talk you know don't make any jokes about how tough i am people bring it up on social media when frank's really the, the tough one because he has another background i've had and you're and he's tougher than shit. And I mean, he got pulmonary edema back there and fucking hiked out because he thought I'd make fun of him for hitting the button. <laughs> no shit, because I was making fun of, of uh, Zach Griffith so much about wounding his knee or whatever he did. And so 
we had made we had poked fun and i'm friends with zach but whatever so you what was your thought oh i can tell i'm about to die and i'll hit the button well we'd been <laughs> we'd been making these jokes about zach griffith and then like a couple weeks after that i was talking to ryan avery and he's like yeah i knew a guy in afghanistan that got shot in the stomach and walked to medevac i'm like jesus man if i fucking if i need to call in a medevac back here for something like this and i'm kind of a pussy uh, you know i defended zach on social media and yeah. and the reason why is because i've been a emergency first responder for many many years and you never you cannot place yourself in somebody else's situation yeah and it's really easy for people to wag their fingers at him and make fun of him but you know at that point in time that was what he thought was the best thing to do and he was he was hurt and you know you gotta give him credit for telling the story well not (laughs) only that is if he really felt like he needed help he didn't uh he didn't die up there he got help and and so he swallowed his pride and and pulled the pin and and that was it. So you can yeah, tell. I gotta I'm, say, I was definitely overly prideful. It was a very dumb decision, probably yeah. hiking out. I definitely could have died. I was yeah. just gonna say, I'm probably on the other end where I, I would, you would be giving me shit. Right. I would push it to the far extreme because I didn't want to get yeah. have somebody give me shit, which could potentially get me in trouble right. one day. Yeah, um, and I get that too. And yeah. and so you know, I've gotten myself into situations. I look back and I'm like. I'm freaking lucky I got out of that. <laughs> you know, I did not die on the mountain that day, and and. It's, you know, just doing dumb stuff when you're tired and, yeah. you know, shortcutting. That's that's one of the big things guys tend to do that gets them in trouble is, you know, getting tired and shortcutting and, and getting yourself into spots. So Well, I, I've talked to Amy about that. I'm like, you don't need to worry about me getting eaten by a bear or a lion. I said, you're going to need to worry about me getting fallen on a, off a cliff or getting stuck in a storm from doing something stupid and pushing the limits of, I know a storm's coming, but there's an animal and I'm going to go ahead and potentially get stuck out overnight or whatever, right? I mean, those are the times where I think falling off a cliff is... I'd say our biggest risks are probably lightning and falling. Yeah, I'm afraid of two things in the mountains, and that's uh, lightning and cow moose. You know, it's like people don't understand how dangerous moose are in Colorado. It's like, you know, especially the guys, your friends up north, because they live around moose that have been chased by grizzly bears and wolves their whole life, and they're, they know they're a prey animal. Our, our moose up here in Colorado, they're like, they've been king of the mountain since they were <laughs> calves. Yeah. And, and they, you know, I've been stalked by cow moose. Like she's like following me and she's going to stomp me. Yeah. And I carry bear spray now in, in moose country. I've talked to, you know, again, I bring up Amy. I'm like, Amy, the elk thing, eh, not as big of a deal. I'm like, you get by a cow moose, you get the fuck away quick. And I'm like, elk, because we have them all over around our, where our house, right, where we live. And I'm like... You walk in the dog and you see a bull and a bunch of cows. It, there's a chance, but it's not as a big of a deal as, as a moose. A cow moose is just, I don't, I mean, when I say, I haven't been stalked, but I've been taking photos where they yeah. just had enough. Right. And there was no stalking. They ran straight at me and I'm like, oh shit. And they can run a lot faster than you right. with them long legs. Well, when, <laughs> when they start walking at you and you take off running and you put a hundred yards and you turn around, they're still right coming. There. They're still, well, they're still walking at you and, they, and they go, they're looking at you walking. I'm like, this is hairy. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I had that big lens on that one and uh, packing a 600 millimeter you know, whatever, F4 fucking thing weighs 19 pounds. Plus I've got my pack on and I'm trying not to bang up the lens and I'm trying to run and I'm thinking, man, if this thing really wants to, it's just going to stop the shit out of me. I'm just giving myself false hope here that I'm going to get away. But, oh, that's funny. What, uh, I, I, 
get back on the just so people understand. I would say there's probably a happy medium because I mean we don't. I'm I'm friend. I like Zach. I'm oh, I said that before. I'm friends with Zach. I just was like Jesus, dude. I probably wouldn't have posted it, right? I probably wouldn't have, have said anything. Well, not everything has to go out on social yeah. media. <laughs> that, yeah, that probably that, that's a yeah. <laughs> that's a learning thing for some people too. So yeah, no, for sure. But I think that um, there's got to be a level of toughness and common sense, and I I have to say it seems to be this day and age that toughness is probably the one that doesn't get hit on as much meaning there's a certain point you need to be able to just push your body there's right. a certain point don't be a put yeah. uh, well don't you think like one thing that i always think of is uh like we're hunting for fun so it's not like you're necessarily in a life or death death situation you can go home and you can go sit on the couch and i always think about that like um it, this is like a certain amount of suffering that you're putting yourself through uh, with your own decision and also... Uh, I question the word fun, though. Because, <laughs> at you know, times. It, yeah, it's <laughs> like there's a lot of... I mean, you guys know there's a lot of times I'm not having fun out there. Right. And so you think about that, it's like, uh, you know, part of this is just, uh, you know, pushing yourself into the experience of the mountains and the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a there's an uncomfortable aspect to it that just is naturally, you know, steep, shitty talus slides and mm-hmm. lightning and... and you know, cold, windy days where you don't see shit. And so the fun kind of wears off at, at moments like that. <laughs> and, and, it's fun again once you shoot yeah, something. But, but, but you then you go <laughs> home and you sit on the couch and like, I cannot wait to get out yeah, there. exactly. Again. And you only get so many days a year to get out there and hunt. So well, I, that's why I live where I live is because I want to do it almost on a daily basis when I'm off. It's right. like, you know, I, I'm out there all the time. And I don't post a picture of it all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and there's something to be said for that too, as far as like, um, I mean, in fairness, I mean, we, when I say fairness, we ha- we don't have to. It helps business, it helps sell packs, and we people follow along. But in, in reality, um, I think that um, the, if you're out there to post, then you're probably out there for the wrong reasons. Mm. I guess I would say that's the easiest way to sum it up. Yeah, it's interesting. You see, uh, some of the things about uh, Instagram women out there now, like posing for photos against the, all these scenic backdrops and stuff. Yeah. And, and it's, there's so many of them now and, you know, they're all emulating each other. And, and I think it's really cool, but it's like, uh, I wonder if something gets lost along the way. Like they're so concerned because we were just down in Mexico, my wife and I with another couple friends watching Instagram photo sessions of people <laughs> at, the, at the beach and <laughs> Playa del Carmen. It's like, oh, it's roll your eyes. It's like, oh my God, it, this poor boyfriend of hers is having to get down in the sand and take pictures <laughs> of her butt. And she's, and it, you, it's almost shameful. You, you feel embarrassed for oh. anybody involved in it. <laughs> Well, I mean, and coming from a point as a photographer, whatever amount of a photographer I am, I think it's important to capture yes. the moment. It's There's just no way of getting around it. Generally not someone's ass, right? Yeah. It's usually an animal or a flower or yeah. a mountain range. I think it's important to to kind of stop time so people could – I really like photography. If I had to stop hunting tomorrow, I probably could make up a lot of that in photos. But I, Frank and I don't make up shit in the woods. Like we don't reenact really like – well, I might tell, say, Frank, the lights suck, stop moving, but that's about the, mm-hmm. you know, most of it where I have been on a couple hunts and there's some very, probably the, some of those well-known guys on social media now, everything is reenacted. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. It just bugs me. Here's what, it's it's a strange thing because what you're trying to portray is a candid moment in time where you, where somebody captured this 
fleeting moment of, of really interesting or, or an intimate moment of like the person wasn't watching the camera and a, and a fo- photographer just caught him, you know, gazing wistfully into the eyes of the animal they just killed. <laughs> yeah. And, but what it is, it's, it's staged. And, and so, you know, I've heard also some people bag on field photos of the grip and grin. And that bugs the shit and out of me. And that bugs the shit <laughs> out of me. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? We've had some tirades on this yeah, podcast I, about I, it. I, it makes me. That's, that's a hot button issue with me. It's like, how, well, how can you. about he, that. Yeah. How can anybody <laughs> have the nads to try to judge somebody for grabbing a hold of that animal and, and, under the premise of, well, that's all anti-hunters ever see is this grip and grin. That's how we shouldn't be portraying ourselves. So instead, we should be creating these false narratives of people posing and creating these photo sessions. of, And that's a big concern is, is all these uh, manufactured images around a dead animal at the end. So we can post those on social media instead. Well, I think if you're a spiritual guy and you want to pray over the animal, by all means, where you take that away is you take a photo of that to post that on social media to show people you are a spiritual guy. Right. I have issues with that. Right. Like I, if a guy wants, I'm not a spiritual guy, but if a guy wants to pray and thank the yeah. God within, yeah. why the fuck are you taking a picture yeah. of it? That's thank our, God. That's, and that's our own. church. That's <laughs> your church. That's my church. Yeah. And, but, I, you know, somebody who's religious, you don't ever see them posting a picture of them kneeling on the pew in the Catholic yeah, church. Exactly. And it's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing. So, you know, I really, uh, and, and there's some things where guys should be careful in a, you know, right, the old riding the dead elk photo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some no, dude, I, you know, squatting uh, on a raghorn and holding on to him like he's a rodeo bull. Yeah, as that's, long as those, it's in good taste. Yeah, well, there, there's something to be said about that. And yeah. Tucking the tongues in and. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a guy we know that freaking takes a picture every year with a cigar in the elk's mouth and like a bottle of whiskey next to it. Yeah, like, that's not For good. the love of God, <laughs> man, please stop. Yeah. Well, and I, I think as, as I is is gotten into arguments with these guys that were doing the grip and grin thing, I'm like, look, here's here's my thing is um, I think you should photograph and, and film or whatever the beginning to the end, including the shitty parts, right, where you're sucking nine titty and you're soaking wet and the pack out. And if you do all of that and skip the premise of what all of that was about – You've kind of missed the whole point. You don't watch the NBA every season and then not take a photo if you win the championship, right? And and all that work and the culmination of your efforts and your scouting and working out and gear and glassing and hours behind the spotter. Yeah, I'm going to take a picture of the animal I shot with me behind it because I feel I've earned it. And it's something I want to have forever. And I want to look back at that. Well... I mean, it sounds like you're pretty much on the same line we are with that. What kills me is, um, you know, the guys that leave the guts in overnight. Don't dump them for a better photo. That that does kind of irritate me. It's like, hey, you can dump the guts and no one's going to know. And there's nothing wrong at the right temperature is dumping the guts, spread out the ribs or whatever. But then they post, and, and there's a group of people, which Frank knows, I'll start going ham sauce in a minute, <laughs> that post that they do it online that they leave the guts in to get better photos we're going to leave it overnight to get better photos that's gutted oh yeah yeah and i can't tell yeah and the thing is is i don't think there's anything wrong especially when it's cold i spread open the rib cage let some cool air in there and i'm all about getting a better photo and 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 honestly there's it's arguable as far as the taste of the meat that that animal would taste better than if you just popped it off at the time you shot it, depending upon the weather. As far as I've never noticed leaving one overnight, dumped open and cooling off, tastes worse, which 
I, we consume about fucking 600 pounds of meat between the two of us a year. So it's all about the, to me, you know, getting the meat out or what, when I say all about meaning if you leave the guts in it with the potential for it to bone sour and spoil, are you really out there for the right reasons to get a better photo? That irritates the shit out of me. I mean, what are your... Well, I I left the guts in one animal, but it wasn't because I wanted for the photos. It was because I took a bunch of shit out of my pack and made a bum rush at him right before dark and killed him. And what I had was one of those outdoor edge uh, little uh, knife packs with the yeah. little uh, caper in the gutter. Yeah. And that was wrapped up in my jacket, my extra jacket, and I took that out. It was stuck in there, and I didn't have a knife, and so I had to leave him. With, but other than that, and you know, it's pull the guts. It only takes a couple minutes, and you don't need to make a giant mess out of it. It's it's no big deal. I mean, that buck I just showed you, I, I gutted him the night before, and and got him right before dark, and and so I took pictures in the morning. Yeah. Well, and I think that if you are, I, I mean, to me, I. If we shoot a giant deer at last light, we know no animals are going to get to it. We're camping by it. There's none of those, you know, whatever. I don't have any issue with the guy doing that to get photos in the morning. I'd be a hypocrite to say I would. The thing is, is you have the the wherewithal or the foresight to do what's needed to make sure that the, the, the meat stays good and all of that different stuff where some of the guys that are anti-grip and grin seem to be a-okay with their buddies leaving the guts in overnight yeah that that does bug the shit out of me and and i'm not you know whatever they call it the meat movement or whatever i'm i'm a huge wild game guy i, I love last night i think i had about four and a half pounds of bacon wrap backstrap <laughs> um, you know but again it's the whole picture i think that you should talk about cutting the animal up. You should talk, take photos behind the animal. I mean, I think people need to understand the whole concept of how the circle of life works as a hunter. And skipping it, I think it's, parts of it is stupid. Well, f- with me and the animals, I process my own. Yeah. And I grind. That's probably harder for you guys because how much, uh, you know, traveling and whatnot you do. You can't always do your own. But I do my own and, and you know, I end up with a lot of hamburger. Yeah. But... I like hamburger. Yeah. I like it a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, quite often I'll eat a, a grilled burger for breakfast as opposed yeah. to, so I get shit full of eating eggs and, and, you know, a grilled burger with green chili on it beats the shit out of two fried eggs. I yeah. can tell you that. Yeah. So, you know, do that. And then I take all the scraps from uh, the butchering and I grind it and that's what we give to our dog. We got a big that's Malamute. Yeah. And so- you know, there's not a whole lot that goes in the dumpster. But one one thing I did last night, I've never done this before. Maybe you guys have, but I tried the refrigerator aging of steaks. Yeah. So it was a pretty good chunk. It was a, well, left it in there for a week, but I felt like I ended up losing about, I don't know, 25% of the steak cutting off the dried stuff. And yeah. The rind and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of bothered me. Yeah. And I felt like, uh, you know, this dry aging thing, it's cool, but I felt like I'm just throwing meat away too you do you do lose some with the dry aging thing whether it be in the refrigerator or in the, the hang box yeah, or whatever you right. want to call it but i i don't know probably because i'm a fat fucker i'm a meat connoisseur <laughs> oh, yeah. Amy to, <laughs> yeah. Jesus, dude. she's gonna i mean the problem i say the problem is it's not a problem at all but which since we get to eat hunt so much right and different and we go on hunts where it's just doe hunts you know and like uh man those the ba- the pepper or those jalapeno. I, I gave uh, I gave Nicole some of the, a like a piece of the uh, salami or whatever yeah. summer sausage they make down there in Alabama. It's got like pepper jack and peppers in in it. 
she couldn't fucking believe it. It's, it's so I, it's so good. I I, I don't know. She like understands. Knows. It like gets the wheel straight. Like oh, I see why you why why you do this. It's yeah. like, dude, the meat's unreal. Yeah. Everybody in my in my area, my coldest, my like it, shooting the bow. They weren't real down with it out the garage over the fucking drive or whatever the road. Well, they've all come and got that cheddar filled salami yeah or some teriyaki so sticks they're like practice practice <laughs> yeah shoot out in the street if you want Aaron. oh all of them but one or now we're like so how's the shooting going they come by they're like because they come get meat from us and so you know for it's like i said not a problem but like we have so many people i don't want to say depend no one's going to starve right but i mean they really like that they wild look forward game. to it yeah and it converts if it Absolutely. goes to a swing vote yeah i would rather them think that dude down the street man that meat's good I'm going to vote pro whatever hunting. Yeah. Well, I uh, I think that can't be stated enough to where, well, photography's one. I've probably converted or had people at least listen to what I have to say from photography. They don't feel I'm just a knuckle dragger that are anti or mid road where I can talk about how it works. Yeah. And in photography, whether it's salami photography or something else, we need all the help we can get when it comes to converting people over to our side. Yeah. There's nothing like converting people with a nice uh, elk cheeseburger with guacamole and yeah. <laughs> on a good bun. You know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, huh? You, do you have any extra? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the one uh, lady that watches the dog, Nanette, she, uh, I didn't know Amy Gamer, some of the, this, the, from the, the, the salami, whatever. It's, what is it got? Marble cheese and, Anyway, it's like it's got heroin in it, I'm quite certain. And uh, Amy gave her some, and I didn't know, right? And she comes over when Amy's gone. She's like, hi. I'm like, hey, what's up? She's like, that meat was so good. And I'm like, I think she's from the Philippines. Know, Philippines maybe. And yeah. She won't leave. I didn't think she was wanting me to get her more. And so I'm like, well, have a good day. And I got about three steps, and I turned back. I was like, hey, did you want some more of that? She opened the freezer and pulled it out herself. She was like, yeah, I do. Actually, I was like, oh, that's why you're here. Okay, good. But, I mean, the cool thing is, is they had no idea how hunting works or anything else. And then we got a moose in the front yard and they're, oh, what is this? And I can explain it. And I, not to get off a subject, but I think it's, you know, part of our duty to kind of, obviously we need all the help we can get. So Yeah. I, when I uh, got my stone sheep last summer, I drove up there and brought all the meat back home and- cooked up some stone sheep backstrap at the firehouse for the guys and there's people just absolutely blown away of course that's you know the creme de la creme of yeah. wild game meat you know stone sheep doll sheep and axis deers yeah maybe white tail fawns dude you know what <laughs> white tail fawns are pretty hard to not shoot yeah. <laughs> you know when people i think that when you you know, you everybody has an opinion, but just just so people know, we're not talking about spotted fifteen yeah, pounders. No. We're talking about yearling that look just like mini does that are, you know, sixty seventy pound deer. The problem in Alabama is there is a dead deer every two hundred yards sure. on the highway. Yeah, and you it's go not down just Alabama; it's the whole yeah. eastern seaboard and. Yep, there's yeah, just too many. Yeah, so they're like, hey, you need to take forty to fifty deer females off this property, and uh, of course, Frank and I will yeah, immediately sign, sign up, up for that duty. And <laughs> yeah. we, when we're down there, it just has to be a female, right? They need those taken off, and also for QDMA, they they do the ratios where the as far as for potential, um, um, the best way to manage that property for large deer, mm -hmm. and so. No one wants to shoot a doe down there, really. Oh so God. Frank and I are like, 
Well, the last bill was what, 1700 bucks? Because we, we bring it all back, we ship it all back. And so they love us at the processing sure, place because yeah. we come in with a truckload and I'm like, I want everything possible wrapped in bacon. And I'm like, and then we got those poppers. Dude, they're unbelievable. They put a jalapeno and wrap it in they bacon. They remake them for you? Fuck yeah, they Jesus. do. Jesus. <laughs> you pay people enough money, they'll do anything for you. <laughs> they, it's not too bad, really. I mean, because we do, like, we do the prime cuts. We'll do, you know, we'll cut what we, like, yeah, You're not going to find that shit here in Colorado. They're not going to do that. No, man, down there, they love, love us because, you know, we, you, you, you're not going to find bacon wrap backstrap here. Well, we had, what, 18 deer made into bacon wrap backstrap. Yeah. Like anybody that comes over for dinner, I'm super excited because we're having bacon wrap backstrap that night when they come over. That's what we had last night. What time is dinner tonight? I know, dude. It's it's (laughs) unbelievable. But we had, um, well, we had had moose, moose, bear, antelope, mule deer, mountain goat. Elk. Elk. Am I missing any? Whitetail. So there's kind of a smorgasbord in there or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's kind of amazing too, like who likes what right like some people like moose over you know white tail some people love antelope i particularly am not a i like antelope for some dishes but i mean everybody's got their own specific i think it depends on where you kill them i've had some that are just as good as they get and then others are just like eh, it's all right you know yeah well i think probably too like how let's talk about that you've killed enough stuff to where um I per- personally try to let it hang for as long as humanly possible before we, you know, take it back or yeah. whatever to let it dry, dry. I don't think people really, especially newer guys, under they, they panic. Not nothing against it. I didn't know fuck I was doing the first one, but I mean, I think the the key is getting that thing to drain as much as you can and cool off as much as you can before you start, you know, packing it out. And I think a lot of guys get nervous it's going to go bad uh-huh. and actually do the wrong thing for the right reasons. If did that make any that sense? Makes sense? Yeah. I mean, what yeah, are you yeah. usually doing uh, when I get an animal? Because it's colder when you you probably don't have to worry about it as much. You know, it, it's not the same though. I mean, we got third seasons now that are t-shirt weather at times. Yeah, and you so, got a point. Yeah. And so I've had where I felt like I couldn't hang animals because even in the shade it was warm enough I didn't feel comfortable with it. Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, just out of necessity, I've gotten to the point where. I, for one, I don't kill a lot of stuff. I generally get a cow elk every year, and then I sometimes don't kill a buck for two or three years at a time. I was going to say, you definitely get one every third at the most, or at the least. I mean, you Yeah, every yeah. third year. Well, I've gone I've gone a long time. When I killed my big buck, <laughs> yeah. uh, I went six years without killing a deer because I thought, oh, I, I'm freaking, I've got this dialed in. I'm, that's all I'm hunting for is these ones now. I'm like, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Robbie Denning said the same thing. Yeah. He's like, you need to go be able to go hungry if you're going to be a trophy and hunter. pretty soon it was six years later. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what am I doing? I, I passed up some serious, serious deer along the way. What's the biggest deer you've passed up? I've passed up some that were in the 190s for sure. Oh, fuck. That yeah. would have been hard that for would me yeah. not be possible. Yeah. You would have heard in the sales life. pitch uh, from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, that was during that that time period. I think it was 2008 or nine. Any regret like. on them? You listen oh, back. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I show you a picture of one. You'd be like, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, in fact, there was about three or four that season that, I, you know, that were big. Well over 185. Yeah. And... And so I was looking for, you know, a unicorn. By the way, these are legit numbers. Mike's not an internet score. I mean, um, 
I would say you probably underjudge from what all the I've, time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm an overjudger by a five, five, solid five to seven. Um, <laughs> I'd say you're an underjudger by probably five to seven. Well, there there's an element to big bucks and body size too. Yeah. And there's so much variation that, you know, the I killed a buck, I think it was 2011 or 12. In fact, the one I just showed you. Yeah. So I thought he was a, a solid low 180s buck 27 wide. And he netted 192 and was 30 and a half. <laughs> but as you saw in that picture, I mean, I'm behind him. He's freaking enormous in the body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, and then I've shot other deer that I thought, I thought this one was about a 205 typical. He ended up being 192, but he was probably 175 gutted yeah. on a yeah, mule yeah. deer. The, and so he didn't have that giant 300 plus pound body. That. Not to get off subjects, that deer I shot in Alabama this year probably weighed a solid 120 pounds. And when we shot it, we shot the buck we were after, right? There was one of two, shot it. I climbed down to drag it out of the way to shoot does. And immediately when I got up to it, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? It didn't, it, I got, it was, I dwarfed it. Well, then you see me dragging it by and I climbed up in the stand and he's like, Broderick's like, was it just me or did that have a really little body? I'm like, we may have slightly overjudged that body. It's like, because he just had a tiny body. Yeah. And his rat, I mean, he's a good Alabama deer, but I got down there. Normally, we're, what are, they want them over 190 body wise, is what they're 180, something There's like that. A, yeah, they have a weight restriction. So if you don't hit that that weight restriction, then you, you got to pay like $2,000 or something. So I just stick to shooting dose. Yeah. <laughs> you get dinged 500 bucks for different restrictions, right? So weight's one of them. Uh, we did not hit the weight requirement, but luckily we hit the other requirements. So we didn't. So there's like a thing where if you hit age and size, you don't get dinged for body weight. If you hit body weight and age, you know, the size is because then it's more of a cool buck. Yeah. So as Frank had said, you're better off shooting does if you're What's poor. What's the, the, the <laughs> landowner's name? Uh, we try to stay in his good graces. We just stack does, and he loves it because oh, yeah. no one else wants to he, do it. So we hope that if we screw Ronald, up later on. Yeah, <laughs> Ronald, because Ronald, he's he's one of those guys. They don't so, call him Ronnie? No, but he's, <laughs> he overalls. I mean, you literally, I don't know if you probably haven't heard his as talk. As Alabama or, as it gets, yeah. Definitely, and he, like, you could be like, you know, my, my wife has cancer, and Frank, you know, he just lost a testicle. He'd be like, did you shoot any does? <laughs> like, that's all. <laughs> he literally, and then you'll show him this, I shot that one massive, old, just big Roman nose deer, and he's like, that's nice. Did you shoot does? I mean, that's the first thing he asks because nobody shoots them. And so he's all about it, and so he loves us so much now. He's like, you can make a mistake. I don't mind. And, and Broderick's like, don't be telling him that shit, you know, because <laughs> We're so paranoid to shooting the wrong deer, but there's just that many deer down there, you know? And so people have given us crap for shooting, you know, pretty little deer, but it's like they need, you know, they need them off. The, there's just too many does on the property and I'm all about it because it's good. But what, um, before I drift too far aside is eating whitetails, what all do you got planned? Cause you shot that stone last year. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you got anything? I'd love to go every year. I just don't, can't afford it. But, yeah. Uh, sell your house. And I don't you have moved to BC. <laughs> I don't have buddies named Lancaster. <laughs> that helps me a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I know two guys here in Colorado drew sheep tags. Yeah. Uh, one is a friend of mine that was on the Bighorn uh, RMBS board of directors with me at the same time. And then another one is a friend of a friend uh, over in Grand Junction, and, and he's got a, a tag also. And 
So I'll probably do some of that, and I'm really hopeful about drawing a cow moose tag this year. I've got had three and one going into the draw, and then they raised the cow tag numbers up significantly. So yeah, I'm hoping to go kill the big black bitch that chased me around. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm serious too, man. She's, Is that up in oh, that same? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know what? I, do, I can give this away, or I can talk about this without giving it away, because this may be the one I ran from. So the pond below the big mountain on the way up on the left side, uh-huh. was it back in there? It was a pond on the east side. Um, on on the way up on the, I guess it'd be more south side, if depending upon how you're looking at it, before you go over the top. Just before the top on the left side, there's a basin back there, and there's a pond. That's where I had the one chase me. Okay. Was that close to where? It was just right when you get into that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I don't know what it is, if there's a genetic trait back there to chase people, but <laughs> Larry drew a tag back in there, and he had one chase him down. Oh, Jesus. It might be the same one. She just gets a kick out of it. It was on the right side on that long willowy drainage uh, on the right yeah. side when you first come up. Uh-huh. He was in there, and okay. one chased him down. He ended yeah. up shooting it, but yeah. he. <laughs> no, it's flat scary, man, because you can't believe how. Well, you know how fast they run across deadfalls and everything. You can... Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is when they, you know, they bed in those willows and you're kind of creeping through and all the one sudden one stands up between me and Frank. I'm like thinking, I wish almost that was a grizzly. <laughs> I might be safer. <laughs> I might go to Alaska for a few weeks just to go screw off and hang out at an outfitter's camp. Yeah. You know, that just, just being up there is, is complete soul food. You know how that is. Yeah. All you hear is occasional bush plane flying over, and and it's like time stands still for a, a few days. So yeah, I think was time's gonna stand still for us for about seven on the goat hunt. It's down by Cordova, so it probably won't stand that still with rain. There no. might be some time standing still inside the tent. But, um, <laughs> the uh, for that goat, the goat tag. But um, I think I don't know. I'm supposed to. I'm going up with Bart. Um, and I think Clay's coming over for bear. So I hate to mention this, but there's a, there's a record book for traditional archers. Uh And I told Bart what the black bear was. And he was like, that's it. I'm reading the book, Bart. I don't know. You know, (laughs) they shoot some, some big bears up there where he's at. They, they just, uh, I'll pull a photo up here, but I think Clay's going to come over and hang out. But I, I'm trying to get Clay, uh, trying to shoot a doll. So is it even lower reaper. standards than uh, Pope and Young? Oh, not just standards. Because I think you can actually, kill a yearling Shiris moose and it makes Pope and Young, it's, right? It's pretty crazy. The only thing I would, yeah, it's bad. The only thing I'd say that is, is crazy to me with Pope and Young is, is uh, blacktail's pretty high. Everything else, I think the standards could be raised by quite a bit for, for Pope and Young. But There's some exceptional animals getting killed out there with archery gear now. And I think it's just the sheer number of archers. Uh, you know, we've just increased so many guys out there with bow that it's happening. But I think there's five world records at the latest uh, Pope and Young convention. And oh, I think really? there's four the the previous one. That's not the big one. Holy mackerel. Yeah. That looks like Bart the Bear from. And that's uh, a black bear. <laughs> it is? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, God dang. Well, those guys, you know, with the with the Lancasters, um, you know, and, and it's Jim and Clay do one thing, and Bart does his own thing. But I'm I'm um, they have talked about both. He, uh, Bart's not a fan of bow hunters. He's not a real big bow hunter guy. But he, um, the amount of bow hunters coming most up, most North Country outfitters aren't. No, they're not. Yeah. That's the big one there. Yeah, wow. and uh, the <laughs> North Country guys, I think what it is is the 
the expectations. Um, I think Tanner Coulter, there was he was making fun of bow hunters the other day and somebody the other month and somebody tagged me in it like I was gonna defend bow hunters and I'm like, Look, I've been up there. We're a pain in the ass in a lot of ways to uh to an outfitter, especially if you can't shoot and you can't hike, because then you the outfitter, the guide gets blamed for the hunters deficiencies. I don't know how you feel what about is that. It, is there something that happens when you draw and shoot a bow a lot that you develop a level of sensitivity that doesn't fit in with the real world? It's like... <laughs> I've never thought of it that way, but that could Jesus, be true. I, I, I think there's no group of people that get their feelings hurt on a, on a greater basis than bow hunters. It's like, yeah, just, just quit worrying about it. Just yeah. do your thing. Somebody yeah. makes fun of you. Big damn deal. Yeah, that's pretty, I mean, yeah. You know how many times I get asked if I play basketball? <laughs> so tall. I'm a goddamn victim here. Yeah. Huh? Can how you dunk? I'm surprised I didn't ask how you that. How tall are you? Yeah. Well, I'm 5'19". Can you keep <laughs> math in your head? <laughs> oh, shit. Well, that's, because, you know, Clay's a... 5'19". Oh, fuck. Yeah, no what, shit. See, 12? Yeah, so he's a... Okay. So that's 7, 6, 7? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Clay's a bow hunter, too, and he likes bow hunters. Uh -huh. I mean, he likes some bow hunters, yeah. but, um, you like... Uh, well, uh, Brian Martin, who's not a favored person in Canada, but Brian does not like bow no, hunters. we've had many discussions, Brian and I. Yeah, and uh, Brian and... Brian uh, talks about it like in a scientific manner. We've had some <laughs> recent discussions about Brian. I hope he doesn't listen to these. That it, Brian couldn't get laid he doesn't in a have time. monkey whorehouse with a bag of bananas. He's got no, <laughs> no woman skills whatsoever. And I'm like, you can't start talking about Chernobyl and, uh, you know, scientific shit with women uh brian you, you got to actually talk about cool stuff right but he yeah. definitely he he threw uh an ice axe like the hammer of thor when a bow hunter missed a stone sheep and <laughs> i fucking thought he's gonna kill him and I, I i think with brian the way he looks at it is you've paid me this much and this amount and we've done this much and we're 13 days in the hunt and you're inside of 35 yards and brian's mind is how could you miss mm -hmm. and his you know what i mean where yeah. Again, you know, my footing was bad, and I did this, and I did that. He doesn't care. I mean, Brian will pick mosquitoes off you and eat them while you're crying. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just a unique individual. And Yeah, and I, I get why, you know, guys that are serious bow hunters and some never want to stray from, you know, their standards, and I, I appreciate that. I respect it, and I, I just also caution people to really remember why they are doing it. Are you, is this just an ego stroke? Cause I'm not going to do it. Cause unless I can get within 35 yards, it's not me. And well, at some point it's, there's an element to that, that, uh, really deserves some real conversation. Yeah. And, and it's not conversation with the public. It's conversation in your head. Are, are you doing it for the right reasons? Well, I can so. tell you why I've grabbed a gun before is I was I wanted to kill something and I was fucking done hunting. <laughs> um, weather was one of them. You know, I, I don't, I'll grab one. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm a hardcore as you could get bow hunter, but there's a time where with a grizzly tag, they were going to band it made no sense. I mean, if, if they weren't going to band it, I like hanging out up there. Of course, I'm going to keep coming back every year. It's basically free, right? I mean, it's a lander just had me pay the outfitter. So I was going to come back until it was done because it was no negative reason to because I got to go hang out with a bunch of dudes I like. He said, hey, they're going to band it. I said, give me that fucking gun. <laughs> like I wanted to get a grizzly. There's, and There's dudes that are coming out of their skin right now hearing us talk about you know, doing it for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. 
Well, um, I just the, this is this is not intended to offend anybody, but just uh, you know, I get standards and I get uh, being wanted be a bow hunter, but you know, there's also the experience you're dabbling in and you also, the animal deserves a, a very quick and, and easy death. So. Well, I think it even more so than that is if, and I, I get it. I totally get it. I'm again, I am a hardcore bow hunter. If you've paid somebody pick us what, 25 grand for a premium doll sheep hunt yeah and you want to kill it with your bow be honest with the outfitter but be honest with yourself if you're six seven days into that hunt and you haven't gotten within 100 yards make everyone's life a little bit happier you might want to grab the gun and take home a fine animal put it on your wall there's nothing to be there's no disrespect in the animal and nothing to be ashamed of with that you you gave it a whirl and i think that um well, when we were coming off the mountain after that, the goat hunt with Bart, he looked at the camera and he said, tell all your bow hunting friends to stay the fuck home. <laughs> <laughs> now, he said if he could have guys like us, he'd hunt with bow hunters every year. We can make multiple stocks and we can shoot. As I say that, I missed one, my, my first stock I had. And he, he guided Richie Bland for years, loves Richie. But he said most of them are good for one stock uh-huh. and they need to get within 30 yards, which sometimes is very hard to do. And so he likes gun hunters. Yeah, you know? there's a lot of North Country outfitters that will tell you they get bull hunters up there that pulp and gun it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when that guys tell me, and you've heard me say this, I'm going to bring my bow and my gun. I'm like, bring your, just leave the gun or leave the bow because yeah. you're going to use the yeah. gun more than most likely. Yeah. Um, if you're going to do that, there's guys that won't do that. But if you're going to want to bring both, then you are probably going to shoot it with a gun. So just leave the bow home. Oh, and believe me, I've, I've been there where we creep up and we're 200 yards away and they're like, what are the chances? And I'm like, less than 5%. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you could shoot far, which you can't, and you had ninja-type stalking skills of South Cox and you could disappear, you're still not going to get within 100 yards of that sheep. <laughs> okay, give me the gun, and that's it. The chances of that happening on your first stalk are good. I mean, yeah. it, or, or within two, 250 yards are pretty good. The chance of getting within sub-50 are pretty piss poor. I mean, those things are made to stay alive. Yeah, with all this archery talk, I, I am uh, going to embrace archery hunting and and pick up a bow. You have and, a genetic advantage over most because <laughs> yeah, you're 5'19". But I have a consumer disadvantage of trying to find a bow. No, we can help you with that. That won't that be a problem. Right? Oh, uh, yeah, especially your draw length. Yeah. Not a problem. I figured I'd call your buddy Jason and ask him what he shoots. And Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know who's going to you should talk to? Greg Poole. Uh, he's a guy because he's a big dude, too. Is that right? He's got a long draw. Getting a bow to fit you won't. You've got about three options, but they're uh-huh. three real good ones. Uh-huh. The thing that's nice with you, you won't have to pull heavy poundage. You know, you'll have plenty of momentum because you've got a freaking 32-inch drone. piss people off when I go out and shoot a big mule deer for the first <laughs> time with a bow. I, I would enjoy the shit out of that because it, it would remind me of kind of going from compound to stick and getting animals where you... Because I won't say you've talked shit about archers, but you've no, been I make, honest. I make fun of them. Yeah, you, yeah. you're honest. I wouldn't yeah. say you make fun. You... Yeah, throw, well, uh, throw common well, sense up. There's there's humor and truth. Yeah. So well, you told me you were like, I don't understand. This is before I picked up a stick bow. You said something to the effect of, nothing wrong with shooting a doe, but if you're grabbing the stick to have a reason to shoot a doe or something, I can't remember how you worded it. You might want to think <laughs> about it. Maybe you should grab a gun and shoot a big deer. I can't remember exactly what you said, and I didn't really think about it at the time because I was a compound dude and whatever. Anyway, but. 
I think that um, the if you grab a bow and then you knock down a 180-inch mule deer, I will fucking laugh my ass off because, <laughs> I mean, it shows that— I won't shoot a 180, though. Well, you know what I mean, <laughs> a big deer, yeah, fucker. Yeah, but you shoot a big deer. I um, will if he's a three-point or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess Isaac did shoot a 183-point. Isaac? No, no I, w- I will hunt for a mature mule deer, That's and I'm—, I'm talking shit right now but that's what i'll hunt for but again i mean you shoot a five and a half year old with a bow your first time i would laugh my ass off because it shows you have the skill set to do it you just your preferred well, I weapon know it, uh, because i'm up there screwing around and i i get close enough to do it so it's just a matter of you know being a good enough shot and, and i was going to bring proficient. it up to you before but i don't want your ass in the woods during archery season because i know the damage you could do but when i was thinking about it before i'm like mike why the fuck aren't you bow hunting <laughs> well i'm going to because and here's why this is because uh, i think uh it's the best time to kill a truly big mule deer that's what i mean like yeah. i'm thinking and that's and that's you know right, right now uh with rifle seasons and how crowded it is and and I think we're over hunting them in a lot of places. So what you're, you're really becoming dependent on some just sheer dumb luck. Yeah. And, and you're working around other people. I, I never saw the woods so crowded as I did last year in rifle season. Yeah. I've no, and everybody I talked to said the same thing. Well, in, in that neck of the woods you're at, you know, up in Northern Colorado, it's prime for, for bow hunting too, you mm-hmm. know, in the right area, which, and you know, the areas of their summer, you know, kind of feeding patterns and areas. So it makes, you know, perfect sense for you to, to bow hunt, but we'll definitely, it doesn't take that long to get dialed in. Cause I well, mean, I did shoot a bow when I had that moose tag because yeah. I, I was thinking I might have to. And it's certainly when you're thinking about shooting any animal that the moose is the number one easiest animal to get with a bow as far as i'm concerned in colorado yeah i'm not saying in, in the north country it's different because of the brush up there that's your biggest uh, obstacle i think in hunting north country moose is brushing a bow hunter but down here it's like you know in all intents and purposes you can walk right up to moose and shoot them with the bow well they're surrounding some of the areas so many well, when Brewer shot his, I thought uh-huh. we were going to have Mortal Kombat oh, yeah. coming out. Like, Pecker pushed a dude off in the pond. I was laughing <laughs> yeah. my ass off. We yeah. we were coming out. I had way more weight on than I probably should have, and, and we were on this little bridge, and there was a hiker being a dick. Yeah. And, he shot uh, a moose. Well, there's a moose playing in a pond beside us, and, and uh, Brewer had or might have been Jason had the rack on his back behind uh-huh. us, and I was making tracks because, dude, I was hurting. There's a lot of weight. And, yeah. Uh, I'm like, fuck it, Pecker, just push him off the bridge. So he did, and uh, which he wasn't real happy about that. But I just was like, dude, I've had all the patience. I, I'm, yeah. I'm out of it. But well, they, they're going to have some real issues in Summit County this year. And I talked to CPW, uh, the state big game manager, about it. I said, you probably ought to think about doing a PR campaign because they've got, I think it's uh, 29 or 30 moose tags in Summit County this oh, year. No kidding. And... So you can imagine with the amount of tourism and people up there and, and guys hunting, they're going to shoot moose where they're at. And the moose are hanging out in the valley bottoms and around houses and, yeah. and they're going to shoot them. And so there's going to be moose dying in front of people and, yeah. and there's people out of their fucking minds. Yeah, you know, just so it, it's it's going to be like the Brainerd Lake incident times yeah, 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 yeah. times 10, I think. Yeah, that's a good so, point. Well, Amy asked why I can't hunt goats on the weekend. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding? I was like, <laughs> I said, where I drew, there will be a parking lot guaranteed with 400 people on it hiking. And I'm like, now think about it. Little white fucking fluffy creature. And here comes a, you know, guy <laughs> with a recurve. Yeah, over the top. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, think about it. And there's 150 people at the summit, and there I am, 400 below, and put an arrow through a white creature. Now it's all bloody, rolling down the hill, and we go down there and take pictures. <laughs> Yeah, honey, I'm pretty happy. I think it's yeah. smart. You know? yeah. yeah, it's just some things are better just not done. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. and that's where we snowshoed the other couple And last you can't weekend. offer them a package of hamburger up there. No, you? no, you can't. Or show them, hey, I take good photos. I don't give a shit. So she was like, why are we scouting back here? There's more goats over here. And I'm like, because I don't want to shoot one over there. I want to shoot one back here where we hike in away from people. Not where we, because some of those places they get fed Doritos yeah. and shit, yeah. and, you know. I'm like, I want to make it kind of a hunt, so I don't want to shoot the tame ones off the trail. You've I want to backpack You've heard in. that mooching noise that goats make when they eat oh, yeah, human yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. They, they sneak up on you, you don't hear them, and you're sitting there glassing, all of a sudden there's a goat right behind you, and they go, Wee! Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, Kaylee was, It's like a little whimper whine. Can I have a Ritz cracker, please? <laughs> I, I took Kaylee up by Montezuma. My, and Kaylee's funny, you know, whatever. She, my daughter, she's, I don't know, 12. And uh, they feed him up there, right? And before we got there, somebody must have fed him because his fucking head was red, right? So he's feeding him Cheetos, I think, uh, or yeah. something. Like fire Dorados or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and then, you know, the, the goats behind Kaylee, the baby nudging her like this, pushing her. And I'm like, Kaylee, come here, come here. She's like, what? And I'm like, I don't want you to get you gouged by one of these goats. I, I, the, the concept wasn't to make, you know, one with nature here. I yeah. just wanted you to see goats. Can I pet it? And I'm thinking, this is how people fucking die from yeah. animal attacks so i threw her in the jeep she didn't know any better you know and the goats just circle yeah. around the jeep <laughs> right and i'm thinking i wonder how many hunters shoot one this way and tell some adventurous story because we probably had like it was attending herd 30 35 yeah. 40 goats around the jeep and i'm like honking to get them out of the way but they're used to people yeah. right there so yeah obviously you remember those two goats that got shot up on quandary last summer yeah because we <laughs> people brought it up to us when we were hunting in oh there, yeah you know? and so you know they some hunter poached mountain goats on quandary. It's like, no, they didn't. Yeah. Some freaking dipshit that was packing got scared because a goat was following him and he thought it was going to knock him off the cliff. And I, I got into a huge battle. One, how many hunters do you know climb 14ers for fun? I don't I'm, know. Any. I, I've never been on top of one. Well, I have for looking for goats. Yeah. So, and I've, no, I've been on, anyway. I've never climbed a 14er. It's just not my cup of tea. I'm going to do it for the first time this summer. It's it's good to get in shape. It's not bad, but if you have hunters raise their hand, who's climbing fourteeners for the fuck of it? It ain't very many. So I got into a huge battle of Darii down in about that because people know I hunt, and I'm like, look, for one, you'd need to have a hunter walking up the trail. Okay, yeah. probably not going to yeah. happen. And I said, more than most likely, somebody then you have had, to say hi to people, and I yeah. don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Some hi. concealed carry dude got scared shitless, yeah. and yeah. a goat they thought cornered them, and they were just coming to eat, and he yeah. shot. It or yeah. two. Yeah. That's not what happened. I'm like, I guarantee that's exactly yeah, what happened. Yeah, 45, 45, right? A 45 caliber yeah. pistol, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, or I couldn't 40. It was a 40 or 45. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like some a, a hunting rifle. Know. Yeah. Well, and I don't, I mean, how many hunters are going to pack a 45 up a 14 or not, no. not too many? I mean, the last thing I'm scared of is a freaking hiker, right? I'm not going to worry about that it. That would but... be kind of cool to hunt one during rifle season with a pistol, though. What, a goat? Yeah. I'm, dude, I'm just struggling with the struggle stick right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do an atlatl next time for the fuck of it. Uh, oh, man. Well, man, we've been on here forever, so we should probably get off. But, man, if you can, I'd like to do another podcast with you straight about photography, um, if you'd be into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after your next shift, maybe we can hop on and tell everybody if you want to be found or where they can see some of your photography writings and things like that. 
I got a real cool handle on Instagram. It's my name. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Uh, I couldn't come up with anything cool, so I just used my name. You've got a cool uh, name. But, uh, you know, I do write for Western Hunter Magazine, and uh, that's uh, westernhunter.net, I think, is a website. And uh, I just finished co-authoring a book last year that was published on hunting mule deer, and I think it's a good read for anybody that's interested in some real real usable information and tips, and that can be also found at the Western Hunter website, so westernhunter.net. The book is called uh, The Edge, a gu- Complete Guide to Hunting Mountain Mule Deer. Cool, cool, and, man. And uh, I, I can promise you won't be disappointed as there's Robbie Denning and Steve Alderman and Jason Carter don't need to read it, but uh, I think anybody else can get good information from it, so... Yeah, and we get a ton of questions on mule deer, so there. I mean, we get asked about reading, so that's yeah. a, definitely a good one. And and you guys haven't seen the photos of the size of deer that Mike's killed, so these killed giant deer. Believe me, you can feel confident that you're getting good info from it. Yeah, I post a lot of pictures. I've I did a lot of wildlife photography for years, and have quite a collection of big bucks on slide film. And so you know, I've got uh, that was before the digital age kind of took. Uh, hold and so I've got just an absolute crap load of photos that I'm putting up on uh, Instagram and um, a lot of bucks nobody's ever seen. It's like there's a jillion pictures of those bucks out at the arsenal and everybody's got a different version of them. But you're gonna see bucks you've never <laughs> seen if you look at my Instagram uh, page. And I did something yesterday. I was just kind of curious because I haven't posted any field photos in a while and gained some followers and and uh, so I put a picture of. Uh, me with a dead deer and I wanted to see how many people unfollowed me. So I took that number mm-hmm. and just kind of watched it during the day and figured there's going to be, you know, I'd get messages or something, but I only had one unfollow. Yeah. Which, uh, so I thought that was a good thing. And yeah. So. No, that's good. I got we- some good eye candy for people to look at. Western Hunter Magazine is a great, uh, source of information and, and a lot of good product review and, and good hunting stories. It's, I think it's a good combination of information and, and, uh, me and Joe went hunting kind of stories too. So. No, that's cool. Yeah. Well, definitely. If you guys are looking for cool photography, you've got some cool photos and I don't, I'm not great at reading magazines. I look at pictures, but I've been told Western Hunter is good. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, you got to yeah. check social media. You don't have time for reading a magazine. <laughs> Pretty much. I can't read anyway. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. That's been yeah. fun. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Appreciate it. Hoping this will open a door for me somewhere. So. <laughs> yeah. It'll open some type of door. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone.